Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. You know, it's been a long time since I've spoke to a Murphy. <laughs> that is a perfect impression. Matt Hurdle, did you realize that today we will be taking a look at Anaconda? It Unfortunately, <laughs> I did realize that. It's a glorious day. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Uh, yes, we are going to be taking a look at the 1997 action horror film Anaconda, directed by Luis Losa and starring John Voight, Jennifer Lopez, and Eric Stoltz. How, how are we going to mention Eric Stoltz over Ice Cube? Because Eric, Eric Stoltz was hardly in the movie. <laughs> well, Ice Cube was in the movie, but did he do a great job? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> If this is your first time joining us, what we typically do is start off with a review of the film, followed by our very own awards, the Spice Awards. Finally, Did You Know is a section in which we go through some interesting facts rapid fire about the movie we found on the Internet. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie and then come back. And before we start, uh, I definitely want to thank all of our existing listeners um, every single listen we get is an episode of an episode thrills us more than you can imagine. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you very much. Whether you are one of our listeners in the United States, Ireland, Canada, Nicaragua, the UK, Australia, Germany, Finland, the Netherlands or New Zealand. We hope you are staying safe and we appreciate you very much. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely not joking about that. Every time we see especially new countries pop up, we get really excited. So thanks. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, one last thing. We are lacking listener feedback. And I think the reason is people probably don't make it to the very end of this of this show. And that's when we do our plugging and where where you can email us and stuff. So at least for this episode, I want to mention um, that we Definitely want some feedback. So if you have a suggestion or you want to give us your take on a movie, you can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Okay, all that housekeeping is out of the way, so we can move on with our review of Anaconda. The plot synopsis from IMDb or Anaconda is... A National Geographic film crew is taken hostage by an insane hunter who forces them along on his quest to capture the world's largest and deadliest snake. I mean, yeah, that's pretty spot on. <laughs> the movie never really mentions National Geographic, but the spirit yeah. of it is there all the same. To be fair, the the synopsis had National Geographic in quotes, so maybe it was a uh, more like sort of like the Nas National Geographic film crew. Let's review. All right, Matt Hurdle. I'm ready for what you thought of this movie that you picked and forced me to watch. Are you sure? <laughs> I think so. Are you really sure? Uh, not really. I'm probably okay. not ready. Well, here's here it is anyway. So... I picked this movie because it's always pretty firmly seated in any one of those lists you find on the Internet that of movies that are so good, they're or so bad, they're good. You know, 
I thought, okay, well, this is a bad movie that is going to be enjoyable. Uh, It'll be a good fit because we've been doing, you know, stuff like RoboCop and, you know, things like that lately. And I wanted to kind of lighten it up. I try to throw in an oddball like this every once in a while. So I just threw it out there and I thought, all right, let's see how bad it is. And if it's so bad that it's good. Uh, I'll tell you, it's so bad that it's bad. (laughs) Um, I didn't like it. I wasn't entertained. Um, I even watched it with a few people this time to try it out in a group setting. And the most fun we had was just laughing at how ridiculous the movie was, which, you know, in some cases, that's what makes a movie good is that kind of shared experience you get with others in terms of just really hammering a film, you know, in terms of making fun of it. But in this case, it was just bad. Like the acting was bad. The music was terrible. The plot wasn't good. A lot of things didn't make any sense. And even the special effects, which I guess were good for the time, are just not. This was made in 97. So, you know, it's close to the time Twister came out, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, comparing the two films, it's not really a comparison. You know, it's it's just not not great. Um, Yeah, this movie kind of stinks. I, I wasn't a fan. Very good. I mean, I think we're basically on the same page. Uh, So unfortunately for this movie, I have no nostalgic attachment. I think I've seen the movie once um, and I barely remember when I watched it that first time. So because of that, I thought this was a pretty bad movie. Um, What I didn't like, the visual effects in this movie are terrible. And like Matt said, you compare it to Twister a movie that came out just a year prior and you compare the effects of that movie to this movie, it makes Anaconda look like a B grade movie, like something that they they spit out for a million dollars or even less. Um, It had a weird mishmash of CG and practical effects that never really worked together. Like at one, one point you'd see a practical effects snake and the next minute it would be a CG snake wrapping itself around someone when the anacondas were were there, there was no ounce of thrill or scare. It was all humorous to me. I was laughing more than I was thrilled. Um, it really wasn't scary, was it? Not at all. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, plot wise, made no sense. You've got this documentary crew who's trying to find an Amazonian tribe. Okay. Then they run into a. I guess he was French. <laughs> Uh, he was from Paraguay, Paraguay, this Paraguay ex priest who they immediately trust. And now he's taken over and he's guiding them for no apparent reason. And he continues to keep them around, even though he's clearly insane. Like he would have if I were him, I just would have killed them all and taken the boat. I'm not sure why he didn't do that. But anyway, remind me not to visit the jungle with you, John. Exactly. <laughs> I'll take care of you. <laughs> um, so, and he clearly had like, he clearly had traps ready for these snakes where they were going. So he had already been there. I, did, I don't, I don't get it. The movie has an all-star cast. JLo, Ice Cube, Owen Wilson, John Voight, uh, Eric Stoltz. Lots of, lots of big names. Um, but they they're all of their almost all of their talents are wasted 
Uh, Jennifer Lopez is fine. But there's one scene where she tries to seduce John Voight's character. And that made no sense. Ice Cube, it, it plays a tough black guy, but he's not really all that tough. Owen Wilson, but he's not really that funny. He's just and he's barely in the movie. John Voight, I liked, but his character doesn't have a whole lot of depth. He's very much a two dimensional, insane person. Um, So I th- to close, I think if you have nostalgia for the film, you're probably going to be yelling at the, your audio player at us because we both didn't like this movie. Maybe, like Matt said, it's probably you could consider it a movie that's so bad it's good, but I didn't think it was. Um, other than my constant laughing at the movie, I didn't really get a whole lot of enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Kind of my definition of a so bad it's good movie is if I see a movie and I can't wait to make somebody else watch it with me. Right. Right. Even if it's a terrible movie, like it's so bad. I'm like, John, you've got to watch this. Come on. And then I make you watch it, too. That's the definition of a so bad it's good to me. For me, I could never see this movie again and be just fine. (laughs) Like I have no desire to watch this one again. Yeah. I think we'll have more funny, more fun talking about this movie tonight than we will have when we watched it. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) All right. So why don't we move into our scene by scene breakdown of this wonderful movie? All right. So the movie opens and we've got this kind of jungle establishing shot where we're going through and looking at trees and water and the, the music's real pretty. And then we pan over like a dead body in the water and then the music starts to get creepier and creepier. And, and we keep panning and then we start hearing someone in Spanish uh, calling for help on our, I guess, a radio or a phone. We don't know at this point. We start to zoom in on a boat and we find a very young looking Danny Trejo uh, frantically calling for help on the radio of the boat. Uh, after a little bit. He uh, he starts to look around and the boat itself starts to get like destroyed underneath him. Uh, the There's a bump and like the floorboards shoot up a little bit and like a nail shoots out of the floorboard and he sees it in slow motion and then it goes back down. So he takes off running up to the top of the boat. He uh, fires a shot into his boat for some reason and then climbs up to the top of his mast. He uh, he sits there for a moment, just kind of looking around and then he shoots himself in the head. And that's our opening shot. Yeah. So Columbia Pictures made this movie. And one of the things they did before they opened the movie is they did this kind of factual paragraph about anacondas. Which I thought was oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, the, the scrolling text. Yeah, yep. I thought that was interesting. And you find out that anacondas can get up to 40 feet in length. And a lot of times they will regurgitate their food after they've eaten it and then eat it again. And that's a little mm-hmm. foreshadowing. I thought the opening shot of the uh, Amazon or wherever he was was nice. Uh, there was a my re- first impression of that man. The very first thing I thought when that scene started cranking up was this music is terrible. The music was horrible. I agree. So generic and just bad. Yes. And so we always say, you know, 
if you don't notice the music or the score in a film, it's usually good. I noticed the music this in the entire movie. So that to me and my gauge is it, it was a bad score. Mm-hmm. Um, we do see a random dead body, which I thought was weird because they just pan over it. Like that's the opening. They pan over mm-hmm. a dead body. No, no explanation or anything. Danny Trejo is in the movie for like. Uh, what, two minutes? Yeah, two or three minutes. It's yeah. not very long. The slow-mo nail shot I thought was hilarious because Trejo, the, the nail shoots up and then Trejo makes this weird face and then he starts climbing up the stairs. Uh, and I, the what I gathered from it was that he would rather commit suicide than whatever was attacking him. And of, of course, we know that it's the anaconda but a pretty good opening maybe i mean it's it's right to it right yeah they don't uh, they don't pull any punches one thing i don't get is why danny shot himself in the head like you know you see the floorboards come up but the the snake doesn't come through the boat Mm mm-hmm he runs up the stairs and then shoots his floor for some reason, which we mm-hmm. don't understand. And then he just climbs up and shoots himself. Like, yeah, there was there was no it wasn't at that point yet. You know, yeah, Here's <laughs> I, my, I didn't understand why he did it. Here's my theory. The camera shot, the tracking camera shot that was going around his head was the snake. And so he was already dead. Like he knew he was going to die. And so he'd rather shoot himself than be eaten by a snake. Maybe, maybe so. I, did, I missed that if that's the case. Oh, it's open for interpretation completely. That's just what I what I gathered from it. Well, we'll go with that because it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, immediately after this um, somewhat shocking opening, uh, we cut and we're in the middle of the day. We're at a little port and we meet all of our main characters. Uh, They're all standing around, they're talking to each other, and they're loading up a boat to get ready to go on an expedition. We find out that it is their intent to film like a documentary type film about this tribe of people that they refer to as the people of the mist or also the Shiri Shama, I think is how they said it. Mm -hmm. Shiri Shama? Yeah, sure. It's a tribe of people that no one's ever met um, that are kind of just legends at this point, but... Um, the organizer of the expedition, a guy named Dr. Stephen Kale, he's convinced he can find them and that they exist. And so they want to go out and shoot a documentary about discovering these people and meeting them in their culture and things like that. Uh, we're introduced to the boat captain, um, a guy named Mateo, who is very hard to understand in his few lines of dialogue that he has. Um, captain Mateo is played by Vincent Castellanos. Yep. Castellanos. Castellanos or something. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that one. Uh, we meet Terry Flores, who is JLo's character. Uh, we find out that she's going to be the director for this documentary, and she considers this kind of her big break. This is her chance to really hit the big time as a director, and she's super excited. She has a good friend in Danny Rich, who is Ice Cube's character and is the cameraman for the film. Uh, I've already mentioned... Uh, Dr. Stephen Kale. He is played by Eric Stoltz and he's kind of the organizer and he's the uh, subject matter expert, so to speak. He he knows all the land. He's done all the studying. He's He's got the charts. He knows where they're going to be. He's the guy in charge of leading everybody. 
Uh, we meet Warren Restwich, Rest Ridge, sorry, who is played by Jonathan Hyde. We find out he's going to be the narrator, and uh, he comes in in a very cartoony way with loads of luggage and complaining about how you know hot it is and speaking in a really bad English accent. <laughs> we meet uh, Gary Dixon, who is the sound guy. Uh, that's played by Owen Wilson. And then we meet Denise Kalberg. And I I don't know what Denise was supposed to be uh, other than Gary's girlfriend. Did you catch what her role was? I thought maybe she was like a photographer. Like she was doing like still shots instead of video. But that's just a guess. Maybe a photographer. We, uh, we're not really sure what her role on the team was, but she's there. And she's buddy-buddy with uh, Gary Dixon, who, again, was Owen Wilson. Uh, Denise was played by Carrie Woover. Woover? Sure. I'm not sure how you say that last name either, but we're going to go with it. And so they're all gathering. We're meeting the characters. They're set up. Um, you know, they've all got friends. We see some established relationships kind of already. And they're all excited and ready to go. Yeah. So we do get to see a lot of the characters very quickly, like, to the point where I had to pick up on what the act, the characters' names were later on, because either they don't tell what their names are or they just say it once and mm-hmm. they move on. Like it's clear that there's they don't care anything about establishing these characters other than introducing them and then getting to where they need to be. Um, yeah, it's so, just quick exposition and meet the characters. Yeah, scene. it was very quick. I immediately thought that the girl, what was her name? The girl that we didn't know what her job was. Denise. Denise. I thought that was Ashley Judd (laughs) until I looked up who the actress was. So the whole movie, I thought it was Ashley Judd. Um, They look look very similar. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Oh, um, we may not be here there yet, but someone says... Pray you didn't forget your bug spray. And I thought that was a pretty good line. So after this establishing shot and a little bit of what we're getting into, the boat takes off. Um, We get some interesting dialogue between Gary and Denise right off the bat where uh, (laughs) I think it's Gary looks at Denise and is like, is it just me or does the jungle make you really, really horny? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no, what are we walking into like, is this a show that I would have watched on Cinemax late at night when I was 17 years old? There's some pretty intense flirting between Gary and Denise, and we find out that they're uh, interested in each other, if not already together. And they're not gone long before a, a giant storm just erupts. And it's it's massive. You can barely see. There's water pouring everywhere. And uh, they're kind of just sliding through this storm when they start hearing a voice. They... Uh, they keep going and they find out that there's a guy that's stranded on a boat. His boat is kind of broken down and he's stuck in the in the woods or in the jungle there. And he's asking for help. And so uh, you can tell that the captain, Mateo, he's not so sure about it, but um, the crew is insistent. And so they convince Mateo to pull over and they rescue the guy and pull him on board. We find out that this is John Voigt's character. Uh, a guy named Paul uh, Cerrone, I think uh-huh. is how you pronounce that. Paul Cerrone. Um, when he gets on the boat, he has kind of a foreshadowing in that he and Mateo have a sort of uncomfortable look at each other, suggesting that maybe they know who they are, but they don't really mention anything there. Right. He joins the crew. 
Uh, he's happy. He says that they can just drop him off at the next village, and he really appreciates them bringing him. Um, he winds up uh, getting a spear and catching a giant fish out of the water, and he really impresses everybody with that. They're like, oh, this guy's like a survivor out here. He knows the land. He'll be beneficial. It's great to have him here. He, uh, They talk to him a little bit, and we wind up finding out that he he either used to be a priest or he wanted to be a priest. Um, but instead of staying a priest or becoming a priest, he decided to move out here and catch snakes for a living. Um, we never really find out the story there or why he went from priest to snake catcher or if he's telling the truth or what, but that's what he says. He explains these from Paraguay. And uh, when he finds out that they're looking for the people of the mist or the Shiri Shama, he says that he knows where they are and that he can help them find them, which made everybody really happy. Mm -hmm. uh, he also is speaking in a really, really weird accent. <laughs> and uh, they establish him pretty quickly as being sort of a creepy dude with these very odd close up shots that persist throughout the entire film of him kind of squinting and just kind of looking at nothing with a weird, creepy face. Oh, the face. I <laughs> I call it the constipation face or maybe the uh, you're trying to figure something out. But you can't quite figure it out, face. It's weird. But it's both like he scrunches up his face, but doesn't at the same time. Yeah, both him and Mateo are like competing for the the worst looking face in the movie. And <laughs> I think John Voight wins, but <laughs> only by a little. Um, yeah, quick. Right off the bat, they establish Sarone as he's going to be the bad guy. Like immediately, once he jumps on the boat. He does that face and you're like, he's not going to be a good guy. There's no way he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into he was a priest and someone says, you got kicked out of the priesthood. He said he was like, who says I got kicked out? And I guess he just left for snakes. And yeah, he he poaches or he stabs the fish. And I think JLo says that's poaching. Mm -hmm. He says or poaching is illegal. He goes, and, oh, no, poaching's illegal. Yeah. And that's all he says. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and that reminded me of Crocodile Dundee a little. Mm -hmm. Continue on, good sir. All right. Well, the boat uh, pulls over for the night, and they're going to camp. Um, Dr. K.L. and Terry um, are just kind of hanging out on the, I guess, the bow of the boat, just kind of talking. And they get to watching some fireflies, and they have a really strange conversation about firefly sex. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about the mating habits and how the males flash different than the females and Terry's all about it and getting into it. And it gets all weirdly sexual and awkward really quick. Um, but they wound up smooching. So I guess they were both into it. Uh, not long after that, we get a treat in that we see a POV shot of the anaconda slithering through the brush outside of the, the boat somewhere. Uh, it comes across a, I think a jaguar. It's a, yeah. it's a black jaguar, I think. Um, I guess it could be a puma, but I'm pretty sure it was a jaguar. But anyway, ah. uh, it sees him, and uh, the snake attacks it and kills it very quickly, and then slithers off. And we see a little bit of the snake slithering, and we see all that's left of the panther is an eyeball laying on the ground. And yeah, 
Okay. That's the, so, the first real shot of the snake we get. It's mostly POV, but we see a little bit of it there. And you really get a good sense of how the effects are going to go. Because uh, we see... So before I talk about the effects, J-Lo at some point says she doesn't mix business with pleasure to somebody. Not Yeah, that she was talking about... Um, I think she was talking about Captain Mateo. Yeah. Uh, Danny was like giving her some, giving her the business about I and Captain Mateo. Yeah. She says that. Not a few scenes later, she starts smooching with the captain. Uh, I thought that was It seems like her and the captain had an established relationship, right? Yeah. They never really say that for sure, but it's very strongly hinted at. I got that sense too. And yeah, the Firefly talk, it was like, the female fireflies have these short, quick spurts, and the male fireflies have these long, drawn-out spurts. You have <laughs> to say bit. spurts, don't you? Yeah, as many times as I can. Spurts. Uh, but then you see the so you see the fireflies <laughs> out in the jungle, and my wife got onto this. I had to rewind it to see it. It's just hanging lights like they didn't even try to hide it. Like, yeah, they're not they, even flashing. They're just kind of just they're not. Them. <laughs> yeah. The effects department got lazy on that one because they're just they're just hanging lights. They're just swinging in the trees. Uh, and then you see the dreaded anaconda. And he wraps himself around the jaguar and the jaguar's eyes get wide. And it's clearly a like a some sort of stuffed animal that they put in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you see that lone eyeball. Which the eyeball is clearly something that they went to some butcher's mark and like, were like, I need a pig or a sheep eye or something. And they just kind of threw it down there. Like it did not look like a jaguar eye to me at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I actually, for a moment, I thought, well, that's an eyeball from some like somebody or something else. Mm-hmm. I didn't connect it with the jaguar. Uh, now that we've met the snake and the other snake in uh, Sarone. <laughs> See what I did there, John? <laughs> That's a good one. We go to the next day and um, Danny is on the, I guess, what, what am I trying to say? The top of the boat. What is the top of the boat? The top. Yeah, he's on the boat. What? There's a name for it and I can't think of it. I'm sorry, boater listeners. Anyway. <laughs> He's on the, the, top of the boat. outside of the boat on the top of it. And he's listening to rap music really loudly and, and doing some work. And we see Warren, who is the English narrator, hitting some golf balls, which I think every time we see him up until near the end, he's hitting golf balls. That's all he mm-hmm. does, I think. Mm-hmm. But he's hitting golf balls into a net and he decides that the rap music is too distracting and he goes to turn it off and ice cubes slaps his hand and like, you don't touch my radio. And they have some words and Danny basically says that he he'll throw him off the boat. And it ends at that. Um, although not without uh, Danny saying yo mama to him, at least <laughs> mama. Once, so <laughs> that had to get in there. Yeah. Um, as they're driving down the river, they pass this weird totem that looks like a guy getting eaten by a snake. And uh, Paul says that it's a Shirishama totem, that they put that there. And then they go into this legend about the people. And supposedly the I'm not going to remember all of this legend, but I'll tell you what I remember. 
apparently the Shiri Shama live at the center of this land of snakes and they worship snakes. And the outer ring is guarded by warrior snakes. And then once you get past the warrior snakes, you come to a waterfall. And at the waterfall are the guardian snakes. And then past the waterfall are where the people live. I think that's how it went. Mm -hmm. But Paul tells this legend and uh, Dr. Kale winds up finishing it. And he's like, I know this, too. He, He says that. There's at least three tribes he know of that have the same legend about them. And Paul uh, agrees like, oh, maybe, maybe so. He's like, but so do the Shirishama. And it becomes clear that Paul is uh, a firm believer in this legend and that Kale is not so sure about it. Uh, and this is where they kind of have some words where Paul says they should go this way. But Kale is like, no, we should go this way because of the water. They'll have to go here to hunt. And he has all these reasons and. Paul kind of throws up his hands and it's like, that's fine. Just drop me off at the next village. Uh, kind of unhappy. There's a little tension established there. Mm-hmm. So we go to that night and um, they're pulled over again because they, you know, they don't go at night. They just stop and rest and everything. And while they're all just kind of talking, Gary and Denise decide that it's a good idea to go out into the jungle in the middle of the night with a sound recorder and try to capture some sounds to use on the video. So they go out and we get a little creepy face shot of Paul watching them leave. <laughs> he's kind of like pretending he's asleep, but not because his eyes are open, but squinty and he's doing his thing. So they go out and um, they start recording and we get a pretty decent sound bite actually, of all the jungle noises. It's a little exaggerated, I think, but I've never been in the jungle at night. So maybe it really sounds like that. And... Um, so they, they record sound for, I don't know, a couple of minutes and then they start getting all make yowdy and it's uh, it's business time, so to speak, between these two out in the middle of the jungle. So they start getting all make yowdy and then all of a sudden all of the noise just stops and it gets dead silent. And uh, they notice they're like, what, what? Why did the did you hear that? Like everything got quiet and then something screams and rushes at them. And uh, we get a POV shot, so we don't know what it is. And they take off running through the jungle, uh, screaming. This this thing is right on their heels. And then all of a sudden, the camera pans, and we see Paul standing there with a pistol pointing right at him, and he just goes <laughs> and shoots. The crew on the boat, they hear the gunshot, and they're like, what's that? What's going on? And uh, you hear screams, but the screams sound like they're a half mile or a mile away. They sound like they're way far out. Um, but... Regardless of that, uh, it's not 10, 15 seconds and uh, they start hearing something slithering in the grass. And they're like, what's that? What's going on? And so they're all looking. And Paul comes out uh, with both Denise and Gary behind him. Uh, They're all talking about how they almost died. And he's like, your friends are lucky to be alive. And he says, it's a wild boar. It goes for the eyes, which I've never heard before, but. He thwomps the boar down on the boat and he's like, we can eat on this for the next several days. Everyone's very happy that this guy saved their friends. So that actually wasn't a bad scene. I thought it was pretty suspenseful. And I like you, I enjoyed the jungle sounds. And when everything went quiet, I was like, oh, crap, they're about to get Mm -hmm. snake bit or eaten. Yeah, they never really explained, though, why the jungle goes quiet because of a wild boar. Yeah. I, I, I assume that maybe the anacondas were nearby. 
but it was just a misdirect. Like the, the wild boar was the one actually chasing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't understand why Sarone, like he's clearly, he has no problem picking these people off later in the movie. I don't know why he didn't just take care of them. Well, I mean, at this point, he's not looking to kill him, right? He he just wants them to get him where he wants to go and to help him. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. Throughout, he's making that weird constipation face. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he mentions to Mateo to cut up the wild boar. They can have food for a week or something. But overall, uh, that's one of the better scenes, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. It was um, it was it's probably some of the most suspense in the entire movie, if not the most suspenseful moment in the movie. Yeah. Imagine um, that you know, the, the scenes where we don't see the snake are more suspenseful. Mm-hmm, for sure. And yeah, it's a little weird how, you know, Gary and Denise, like they just decide they're going to go at each other in the middle of the jungle. It was a little odd. And the distance thing threw me off a little bit. But all in all, I guess, looking at the rest of this movie, this is one of the better scenes. All right. So the next day, the uh, the boat is moving again and they're kind of going along the river. And all of a sudden, a uh, a rope that's on the boat, uh, kind of dangling in the water, just goes and it goes tight and the boat lurches to a halt. Uh, we find out that what had happened was the boat fell off or the rope fell off of the boat and wound up getting tangled into the propeller and, and locking up the engine. So Dr. Kale, he's like, I can fix this. And he starts grabbing some scuba gear to jump in the water and get it. Uh, Paul says, are you sure I could do this? The river it kill you in a thousand ways. And uh, Kale's like, no, I got this, man. And he, he gets on the water and he's like, the only thing I'm really worried about is that catfish that can swim up your penis. And they want to go ahead and talk about that. And then he jumps in the water. He goes to the back of the boat and starts cutting the rope. Um, he's doing fine. He's been underwater for a few minutes. Everything's going no problem. And then he just freaks out. Um, at, at first, you have no idea what's going on. Like everything's fine. And then he just flips. And it, it looks like he gets tangled up in some plants and his regulator just flies out of his mouth. And he's right at the surface, but he can't seem to raise his head up and take a breath. And everybody on the boat sees him and they're like, oh, no, what's going on? And so they jump in the water and they pull him on board and he's unconscious, not breathing. And uh, Paul walks over to him and looks and he's like, hmm. And he puts his hand into his mouth and pulls out this wasp. And they never really say, I don't think really what the wasp is, but they explain that it's very deadly. Uh, It's poisonous, can kill people. And uh, that, you know, his throat's swollen and he can't breathe. And so Paul gets his knife and winds up doing a tracheotomy on him right there on the deck. He just stabs him right through the throat. And when he does, he's able to breathe. And so Dr. Kale is uh, regulated to bed because he's unconscious and barely alive, but he's okay. Uh, This freaks out the crew. Everyone's like, well, that's our leader. He's down. We've got to go back. We don't have a choice. And so they decide it's time to just go back, call off the expedition and come back whenever he's healthy again. So they're debating on where to go. Paul basically says we should go this way. It'll be better. And they're like, well, what about this way? It looks faster. And he's like, that's not the way we need to go. This is faster. It saves us like three days or something. And so they agree because Paul knows the most about where they are um, now that Kale is gone or unconscious. Mm hmm. And so they decide to go down this way 
and uh, take off down the river again to try to get Paul to a hospital. Yes. So the wasp in the mouth. Makes no sense. Makes no no sense at all. No sense really at all. Um, I didn't understand how he didn't know that was there until much later when he was under the water messing around with the rope. And then somehow it gets gets in his mouth and stings him. So we find out later that Paul planted the wasp in the regulator before he went under the water, which is how he got a wasp in his mouth, despite being underwater with a regulator in his mouth. Mm -hmm. They never explain how there was a wasp in his regulator for five to ten minutes before it stung him and got in his mouth and he flipped out. Like, how would you not know that there is a wasp in your mouth? Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I clearly knew that someone had planted it. I knew it was Sarone, but the how the how of it, how he got a wasp in his mouth without knowing it. Never. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. Like, first of all, where did he get it? Second of all, how did he handle it and get it into the regulator and keep it there until the guy put it <laughs> into his mouth? Without it flying away. Like third of all, how did he not know that there was something in his regulator? Like the whole thing is terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Very contrived. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say about that. It was just ridiculous, but I, they needed a way to get the leader out of the way, I guess. And I guess so that's what they Uh, came up with. Surely they could have thought of something better, (laughs) but no, that's what they went with. The hidden wasp in the regulator. That old trick. Yeah, you know, the old standby. <laughs> so they're they're going down this new river. Uh, I guess it's a tributary trying to get back to the, the town that they came from. And they don't go all that far. It's really hard to tell, honestly, because the boat scenes are really quickly cut. And so we don't know if they were going for a couple hours or a couple minutes or what, but. They uh, they're going down the river and then they come across this wall that's built across the river. I thought it was a bridge, but everyone thought it else thought it was a wall. So I guess it's a wall designed to keep boats out. Hmm. There's some discussion over what they need to do. They decide they're going to have to go back. And even though it's going to cost time because they don't have a way past this bridge. Well, Paul reveals that in his backpack, he's got a whole bunch of dynamite. He's like, we can blow this up. So there's some discussion over whether or not that's a good idea or not. And they decide that given the circumstance, that's what they need to do. So um, Paul swims to the bridge with Gary and I think Danny goes with them, too. But it may just be Paul and Gary. Mm -hmm. In any case, they swim to the bridge and load it up with dynamite. Um, While they're loading it up, uh, Gary is in the water and uh, Paul's up on top of it. Uh, We notice the water start to do kind of a little shimmer in a pattern that's moving towards Gary. Uh, Paul reaches down, grabs Gary's hand and lifts him up. And Gary's like, I think there's something down there. And Paul goes, I think there's something down there too. And Gary goes, <laughs> I mean it. And he goes, I mean it too. <laughs> so I guess a little uh, attempted suspense there. Uh, they wind up getting back to the boat, uh, lighting the fuse and then blowing up the, the wall for some unexplained reason. Once they blow up that wall, literally hundreds of snakes fall onto the boat. And I'm not joking. There are hundreds of these snakes. They're everywhere. Uh, Most people are freaking out. Paul's like, oh, they're just babies. Look, they're babies. (laughs) And uh, 
He's, they're like, what do we do? Get rid of them. And he just starts scooping them up and tossing them in the water. And he's like, there you go, babies. There you go. It's very strange. Uh, Warren, he picks up one and it just bites his finger and just latches onto it. Um, he's like, ah, get it off, get it off. And Paul goes over there and kind of taunts him a little bit. And it's like, oh, look, he's just a baby. And then eventually pulls it off and throws it in the water, too. So the... Uh, the bridge has exploded and they are free to move on their way past this obstacle that they have overcome. Mm-hmm. I thought the one silly moment was when Warren got his finger bit and the snake like tries to eat his finger. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty silly. Oh, one of the snakes had a frog in its mouth, I think. Oh, really? I didn't catch that one. Uh, I will say the finger biting scene was one of the better effects. I felt like oh, it, it didn't was, look that bad. It looked pretty good. Yeah, that was a decent and that was a practical effect. I think maybe it might have been CG. Mm-hmm. There might have actually been a snake biting that guy's finger with some fake blood or something. I don't know, but it was uh, it really looked good. Yeah. So props to him for that one, at least. They got one. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention that's important. Uh, when the snakes fall and the dynamite goes off, the barrels of gas that they have, the extra gas, falls into the water. Oh, yes. And so they, they lose their extra gas. Yep, that's important. I don't know why they uh, couldn't just go get the gas, but um, <laughs> the gas was gone. So they only had, I think they said, about a day's worth of gas left to get back with. Yeah. Well, you saw what happened when they went into the water last time. Mm-hmm. They got wasp bit in the, in the mouth. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. seems like the gas might have been worth it, but maybe not. I don't know. I mean, blowing up the bridge was worth it, but not the gas. I Whatever. I don't make the decisions in the, in the movie. <laughs> we're out of gas and the bridge is gone. So we're moving on down the river. Uh, they go down again, an undetermined distance, and they come across a wrecked boat. Uh, over to the side of the river. We, the audience, recognized this boat as the boat Danny was on when he was calling for help and shot himself in the head. Uh, it looks like maybe uh, Paul recognizes the boat, too, through some kind of subtle hints and creepy stares. Mm-hmm. But he sees it and he's like, hey, we need to go over there and look at this boat because there might be gas on it. We could get gas off the boat. The crew agrees. And so they kind of pull over. And so Paul, Mateo, and Danny uh, all go to the boat to look for gas. Paul winds up getting onto the boat first. And uh, one of the things that we see immediately is he sees this newspaper clipping hanging on the wall. And on this newspaper, you clearly see a picture of Mateo, uh, Danny Trejo's character, which I need to find out what that guy's name is, but I guess it's irrelevant, and himself. So Mateo, Danny Trejo, and Paul all know each other. They're holding some kind of a snake and, and on the front page of the newspaper. He snatches it off the wall and, and puts it in his pocket. Uh, they all get to the boat. And they start looking around. Um, they don't find any gas, but Paul finds at the bottom of the boat a uh, locked chest that has some kind of a weapon in it that was very hard to see what it was. Do you know what that was? It almost looked like a rocket launcher to me, but it was very hard to see. I really didn't find out what was in there. He just said treasure. I think he said something about treasure because Mateo asked him what it was or maybe Danny did. 
Well, I'm I'm going with it was a rocket launcher. Okay. I don't know that though. Somebody can correct me if they know this film better. But um Paul goes to Danny and's like, here, you gotta help me get this off the boat. And so they take this heavy metal chest filled with what I think is a rocket launcher and they put it in the water and it floats, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Like it was made out of plastic or something. I don't think that would happen, but I can't say for sure it wouldn't either. But anyway, uh, we also find out that Danny is wearing Converse shoes, which I thought <laughs> was interesting. He's, he's wading through what I guess is the Amazon River in Converse. Um, also, another point I want to make here, which I thought is interesting. Danny, when he finds out about the catfish from Dr. Kale, he says, I am not getting in that water. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, he's in the water like every 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of forgot about like, that. <laughs> he just keeps going in the water over and over again. I'm just like, what, Danny, what do you come on? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So they they get the uh, they get the box back to the boat and we never really hear about the, the box again. It just kind of goes away. Right after Danny and Paul leave with the box, Mateo leaves the boat, too, just behind him. And uh, he looks up and there's the anaconda. It's just sitting there waiting on him to come out of the boat. And I guess Danny and uh, Paul didn't see it, but it, it rears up and just attacks him. And just like that, Mateo becomes snake food and is our first official victim of the anaconda. Yes. OMG, the special effects. This was uh, they use this uh, technique a couple of times where it's a CG snake and the camera sort of pans a little bit around the person and the person's Mm -hmm. kind of rotating. Uh, I was it was very weird and you could clearly it was supposed to be them getting coiled up. I yeah, think. It, it was done very poorly, in my opinion. Um, yes, he's the first death. This is where I found out what Ice Cube's character's name was for the first time. Danny. <laughs> it took that long before I, I realized what his <laughs> character's name was. And yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I guess it was a weapon that was in that. And I guess it floated probably because they realized that if they shot it where the container was sinking it might have not worked very well carrying it out i don't know yeah i don't know like it didn't it didn't just float like it floated like like styrofoam floats like it was very light like no part of it was under the water it was just right on top yeah which you know if it did float it i'm pretty sure it would have at least sank a good amount and then floated but i don't know we've got one down Mm -hmm. they uh they get back to the boat and everyone's like, where's Mateo? And they can't find him. And they call for him and he doesn't show up. And they decide that what they're going to do is just stay the night there, wait and see if Mateo shows up. While they're waiting, Paul pulls out this gigantic snake skin that belonged to a big anaconda. And uh, he basically tells the crew that Mateo's dead and something like this ate him. Everyone's like, there's snakes that big. And he's like, oh, this one was two or three years old. So this guy's a lot bigger now than he was. Uh, he starts telling people about anacondas, about how big they get and their eating habits and all kinds of facts about anacondas. And then he he basically admits that it's his goal to try to catch one of these things alive. He says they're worth a lot of money if you can catch one alive. So night comes. um, 
Gary and Denise are kind of doing their flirty thing and they decide to go to bed. Gary tells Denise to go on. He wants to talk to Paul first. And so Gary goes up to him and Paul basically is like, you know, we could catch one of these snakes. It'd be worth like a million dollars alive. And you can tell that Gary's kind of being swayed. He's like, OK, this may be not be a bad idea. He, he's <laughs> thinking that, you know, they went out to film this documentary, which isn't going to happen. The whole project's in shambles now that Kale's hurt and they have to rush him to the hospital. And he thinks that maybe they could salvage the mission by filming uh, Paul catching the snake. And then, you know, they could take a cut of the profits from the sale of the snake. And then they would also have the film of it, which would be a big hit. And he he's thinking maybe that's the best course of action. Paul tells him that, you know, he can't catch the anaconda by himself. He needs a partner to help him out. And then everybody goes to bed and we go to the next day. Yeah. Is this uh Someone says snakes don't eat people. And Paul says, oh, they don't. I think that was around this time. Yeah, I think you're right. And he shows him that scar that he's got. Where yeah. The yeah. Snake yeah. Oh, they don't. Him. Pretty good line. This is where I found out what Owen Wilson's character's name was. Mm. <laughs> Gary. 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 We go to the next day. It's morning. Uh, the crew decides that Mateo's dead, Paul's right, and it's time to move on. So they take off down the river again. Uh, there's another indeterminate amount of time that goes by, and then Paul pulls out a rifle, leans out the side of the boat, and shoots a monkey down dead. He pulls the monkey out and explains that he could use it for snake bait. He wants to use it to try to catch the anaconda. Uh, the crew just go nuts. They're like, are you insane? Like, we have to get him to the hospital. We're, how did we go from getting, you know, Kale to a hospital to save his life to catching a snake? And they're like, this is stupid. We're going. And uh, Paul's like, what do you uh, what do you think about that, Gary? And uh, it kind of forces Gary's hand. And Gary admits he's like, look, we could we could make some money. We could save this a little bit if we just help him catch the snake. And then we can go to the hospital and take care of Kale. Everyone's like, are you insane? Like, Kale's dying. We have to get him to a hospital. Well, uh, basically, Gary and Paul at this point break out guns and decide that they're just going to hold the whole crew hostage. So they're they're pointing guns at him and they're like, no, we're catching the snake. Uh, it was a very abrupt switch from uh, Gary being, you know, hey, guys, to if you move, I'm going to shoot you. And you yeah. can tell he's not 100% on board, but he's still doing it. Yeah. Even even his love interest says, this isn't like you. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, he completely like the fact that you don't know much about him to begin with. And the fact that all we've seen from him is kind of a laid back, go with the flow kind of person. And then boom, the jungle makes horny, horny, horny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then automatically switched to he can he's wielding a gun and he's pointing it at his supposed friends. Mm -hmm. um, very weird. Uh, at this point, Danny uh, kind of glances at Terry and he shows Terry that he's got this knife and he's basically saying without saying that he's just needs an opportunity and he'll take care of the situation. Mm -hmm. As an aside, Ice Cube always looks angry. I think that's kind of his stick. Yeah, right? I think that's his thing. It, I just thought it was. It's funny that he he always looks mad. And, you know, this movie really does him a disservice, right? Oh, yeah. It's almost like he's just this giant black stereotype 
that every dia- every piece of dialogue he has, he has to remind everybody that he's black. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, you know, he'll say something and he's like, man, I can't wait to get back to L.A. and have a six pack of beer and watch the Lakers. And <laughs> like he's always saying stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and I know that's not necessarily something that just a black person would say, but it, it, it's dialogue along those lines that really stereotype that character. Mm-hmm. And it got really annoying. Like, you know, we get it. It's Ice Cube. He's awesome. But like, you don't have to keep throwing all this stuff in here. I don't know. It was it was off putting. Yeah. The one saving grace, I would say, is that he didn't die. Like he wasn't the -hmm. the token black character that eats it before the movie ends. And he He, did. He had a lot of close calls, but he did come through. And he did get his a little bit of redemption at the end with Mm -hmm. the snake. But yeah, I think he he was undervalued in in the movie he didn't get to do a whole lot and he was stereotyped for sure well i mean the, like wearing converse waiting through the amazon <laughs> is a so perfect funny. example right <laughs> like come on like it's just it was like what are you what are you guys doing yeah it was silly anyway uh aside from that tangent then uh we go to that night um gary and Paul have the boat uh, somewhat firmly in hand. They're patrolling with guns, I guess, hoping that they don't both ever have to sleep at the same time. And we see that um, the the back of this boat has a big winch on it with a steel cable. And they've got a line in the water and they've got the dead monkey tied to the line with a hook or some somehow attached to the line. They're fishing for the snake, basically. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of sitting around waiting and it's uh, not very long before the line gets real tight and the monkey gets eaten and the snake takes the bait. So what happens next is, is really fast, but the, the snake starts thrashing around. Um, it's pulling the boat around. Uh, it sounds like Paul wanted them to cut the line at one point because he was worried it would sink the boat, maybe. But the snake comes out of the water. So now we really see it for the first time. Everyone like the audience, the crew, everybody like it's a long shot. We see the snake and it's thrashing and it's making a ridiculous noise. It's like this. Got a sound. It's really strange. Squealing noises. Um, But so Paul and Gary are trying to frantically deal with this snake. Ice Cube gets his knife out and is about to make a run on the two of them. And about that time, the snake breaks free. The cable snaps. When the cable snaps, the boat rocks real hard. Ice Cube falls over and drops his knife in the water. The, the, the snake starts moving on the boat. Uh, it, it comes up right next to the boat and it sees Terry, who's Jennifer Lopez. It sees her. She runs into the cabin and it sees her in the window and it shoots its head through the window and breaks it and comes after her. Uh, which I thought was an odd move for a snake to make. Paul pulls out a tranquilizer dart and shoots the snake with the tranquilizer dart. When the snake gets shot, it pulls back and it winds up knocking Denise into the water. Gary sees that Denise is in the water and he's like, oh, my baby. And he jumps into the water to save her. Uh, The snake at that point is like, oh, and then it goes away. So uh, Gary gets Denise back on the boat. And uh, while he's getting onto the boat, the snake pulls up and attacks Gary. Uh, Gary gets coiled up real bad. He gets squished and then the snake eats him dead. Uh, While the snake has Gary, Terry pulls out the uh, rifle 
and is getting ready to shoot the snake. But Paul's like, no, and slaps the rifle out of her hand. So she doesn't hit it. And we see Gary become snake victim numero dos as he's dragged under the water. I was just going to say, we were also uh, not long after treated to a shot of the snake swimming underwater in which we see (laughs) the outline of a screaming Gary in the snake's belly, like pushing against its skin from the inside. Yes, a great another great special effect from this movie. I believe this is the scene where the snake spits the monkey into the face of one of the characters. That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> it spits the it spits the monkey out at somebody. I don't know who. Yeah, snakes are known for spitting. <laughs> yep. Um, when it when it first comes out after it gets loose of the the fishing line, I guess. Mm-hmm. It uh it spits the monkey out. Yeah. This was a little reminiscent of a, a scene from Jaws. Uh, trying to basically fish for the snake. Um, mm-hmm. But boy, it doesn't pay, compare to to Jaws in any way as far as quality. Mm-hmm. And that movie was made in the 70s. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot going on in that scene. Uh, the bottom line is they didn't catch the snake and Gary died. Oh, and Sarone says there's a devil inside everyone. Oh, yeah. You brought the devil to us. There's a little bit of devil inside <laughs> all of us. Yeah, it's terrible. He also does his uh, Spiritu Sante, whatever. Priest oh, yeah. He, he like for Gary. Th- yeah. Throws some feathers and leaves over the side of the boat. <laughs> I think I said feathers. I meant flowers, but yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so um, I'm not sure if this was the next night or the same night because of the way that everything laid out. But I'm going with this was the same night later that night, right after the snake gets loose and Gary dies. uh, Paul essentially asserts himself as the leader of everybody. He pulls out the guns. He's, he's holding everybody at gunpoint and he tells Warren to take his stuff up to the captain's, I guess, cockpit where you steer the boat. Mm -hmm. Warren says no. And he's like, well, I could always just, you know, tie you up and throw you over the boat and let the snake eat you or shoot you or whatever. And uh, he basically makes Warren take his stuff up there. Everybody's mad, but he's basically like, look, we're doing what I want to do or I'm going to start killing people. And he book- he goes whole hog villain at this point. He's up in the captain's. I don't know what I want to say chamber, but that's not what it is. It's the like bridge. the cockpit of the boat, the bridge. Bridge. he's on the bridge. Yeah. Thank you. See, I don't know boats very well. <laughs> and uh, we cut to Terry, who's downstairs putting lipstick on. And uh, it becomes pretty obvious that she's going to use her feminine wiles on him to try to seduce him into uh, giving up the boat, right? Some kind of a trap because she's working with Danny. Danny's going to sneak up and take him out while she distracts him. So she goes up uh, looking all j Lowy, and uh, puts the moves on him. And this is when we hear uh, Paul go, it's been a long time since I've had a woman. <laughs> it's it's terrible. And he's like, protection? You need protection? <laughs> it, it's a really awkward scene. And it, they wind up making out. So Ice Cube uh, sneaks up on them while they're getting all makey-outy. But Paul sees Ice Cube and sees his reflection in the glass or in a mirror and turns and winds up whipping both of them. And uh, he's like, you think I'm stupid? You think <laughs> I didn't see you coming? You think I'd not know this was a trap? 
And about that time, Warren comes in from the front with a golf club and just lays him out. Knocks him out cold. Yeah. So they uh, they take Paul and they wind up tying him to a, a pole near the front of the boat. And they all go to bed. So this scene would have made sense if J-Lo wasn't already acting like she was completely disgusted by this man and yeah. wanted to kill him and hated him. But there's no way that he would have. And he really didn't fall for it, I guess. Uh but even for her to attempt it, she she would should have known that he wouldn't have gone for it. Yeah, and that's where I was like, maybe this was supposed to be the next night because time is really weird in this film. It's hard to tell. Yeah, because like literally he just took over the boat and threatened to kill them all. And then not like two hours later, she's up there like, hey, yeah, you could help me. We could film the snake. Make a lot of money. <laughs> But he, protect me. Yeah, it could have been days. It wouldn't have mattered. Like it, he's not going to fall for it. She should have known he wasn't going to fall for it. And it made no sense. But then yeah, like a lot of this movie. Uh, but what was funny was he he figures him out and then he kisses her one last time <laughs> oh, yeah. before he uh, takes care of business. I thought that was funny. And then yeah. uh, Warren hits him in the back of the head with his driver or whatever it was iron and he says first hole in one oh that was funny oh, no, as well. that's not what he says what did you say it was this is uh this is going to be a spoiler on my spice awards oh darn sorry he says asshole in one ah i miss i misheard that's even better because i <laughs> i actually laughed at that line yeah. i was like that's the best line in the movie i laughed at it when he said first hole in one <laughs> <laughs> asshole in one awesome so we go to the next day. The sun's up. Paul's tied up at the front of the boat. And everybody seems to be in a pretty good mood. They feel like they've got things back under control. Uh, Danny has been driving the boat. And, uh, or not Danny, Warren has been driving the boat. Danny's hanging out with Warren. And Warren teaches Danny how to drive. And Danny's like, cool. And so Danny's driving the boat down the river. Uh, everybody seems like they're doing okay. They're they're finally on the way. They're moving. The snake business is behind them. It's time to move on. Well, another indeterminate distance slash amount of time, and they come to this waterfall that's in the middle of the the river. And everyone comments on how pretty it is and how beautiful it is. And then uh, they quickly realize that it's the waterfall that they're talking about in the legend of where the Shimishama are. And uh, Shiri Shama, not Shimmy Shama. <laughs> shimmy Shama sounds like a dance, doesn't it? Yeah, to the Shimmy Shimmy Shama. Shimmy Shama. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, so while they're looking at the waterfall, Danny winds up running the boat onto some rocks. And so they get stuck, run aground on some rocks by the waterfall. Uh, they go down and they take a look at the situation and they decide that the only way they're going to get free is to set up the winch and pull themselves off of the rock. Which is actually a fairly reasonable decision, although it means getting back in the water. Mm -hmm. So uh, Warren winds up taking one of the cables to tie it to a tree. And then Danny and Terry take another cable and tie it to another tree so that they can work the wrench and pull themselves out. So they all get in the water and they start about going out to tie the cables. Uh, and just to remind everybody, in this legend... Like the guardian snakes were the first ring, and then there's the waterfall, the warrior snakes, and then the the waterfall is apparently where the guardian snakes were, 
and then past that are where the Shimmy, Shiri, Shama are supposed to be. So hint, hint on that one. So they take off. They're tying the. Uh, oh, yep. Nope. Uh, well, I just want to oh, say okay. um, Ice Cube and and or Danny and Warren Bond during that moment when they're teaching each other or he's teaching Danny how to mm-hmm. use the boat. I thought that was pretty cool because they were kind of yeah. at, at each other's throats at the beginning. So they're going out to, to tie these cables while they're out in the water taking care of this. Denise, who we haven't heard much from lately. Uh, she was real tore up when Gary died and she just kind of went away after that. She shows up with a knife and she's about to go kill Paul while he's tied up. And she just wants to kill him. Uh, she stands up and Paul looks at her and he's like, you know, you should never look at the person you kill in the eyes because it will haunt you forever or something like that. And uh, this makes her pause and she's like, I can't, I can't do it. And while she's having this thought, he does some kind of ninja <laughs> pop-up move. So he's on, he's on his butt with his legs in front of him and his hands tied behind him around a pole, right? He does this kind of kick up thing where he flies up into the air like five feet and he winds up wrapping his legs around her neck and he strangles her to death. And it's ridiculous, but that's what he does. <laughs> so the the ex-priest from Paraguay does this like anime move and takes her down. <laughs> he kills her and then with his legs twists her off into the water and she disappears. Uh, the people with the cables, they hear the splash, but they didn't see what happened. So they don't know what's going on. Uh, Paul then gets the knife that she had and starts to cut himself free. So while he's cutting himself free... Uh, enter uh, the Anaconda. Let's not forget this movie's called Anaconda. <laughs> uh, the, the water starts doing a really big ripple like we've seen before, and it's coming right towards Danny and Terry. So they're like, get to the boat, get to the boat quick. And so they're, they're panicking and trying to get through the water to the boat as fast as they can. It becomes obvious that they're not going to make it. And Warren, in a surprise move, plays the hero and he starts trying to distract the snake. He's splashing and he's like, over here, over here. And it works. The snake turns and starts going after Warren, who's like, oh, no. And so Warren starts running. So he runs to the waterfall and he winds up climbing up the rocks and he hides behind a waterfall near the top, uh, which he climbed a long ways. It was like 50 feet, 100 feet up in the air. Mm hmm. Uh, while he's running from the snake, Terry and Danny get to the boat. They find out that Paul has freed himself and they wind up getting into a fight. So they're they're fighting Paul on the boat and, you know, doing pretty good, actually. I mean, Danny, Paul's holding his own, but they're they're giving a good fight. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Warren, who's behind this waterfall, and he's hiding and he's shivering. And then we see the kind of the shadow of the snake behind the waterfall, and it peeks through the water and sees him. And uh, they look at each other for a moment, and then Warren's like, nope. And he just jumps, (laughs) jumps off of the waterfall. So the snake sees him jump, and it lunges for him, catches him in midair, and wraps him up. And uh, that's the end of Warren, who becomes the next victim of the anaconda. Uh, unfortunately, as he's killing Warren, the tree that the snake was clinging to falls. It, it breaks off of the roots of the cliff it was holding onto, and it winds up crashing into the boat and landing just pretty much square on the boat. 
the the snake disappears under the water as does Warren. But when the tree hits the uh, hits the boat, it jostles really hard, um, and they wind up uh, in the midst of all this, knocking Paul cold and just throwing him into the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to the anime move by John Voight. He was fifty nine years old when this movie was made. Uh, so that. I, I, <laughs> That adds to the Man. unbelievability of what he did. <laughs> it almost makes me think like they put him on an airbag. Like you see those videos on the Internet of people sitting on airbags and blowing them up. Like that's what it looked like. He just shot up in the air like out of nowhere. It was really weird. Yeah, it was almost a Matrix move kind of thing. I thought it it was pretty cool, but it was a little ridiculous that the snake was able to catch Warren in midair. And it was one of the cooler snake scenes. Yeah, it was. It it did look a little off visually, mm-hmm. but it was still really cool. Like, I didn't expect it to catch him in midair like that. When that happened, I was like, whoa. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And it, it looked really cool the way that this like the snake looked bad, but it was still cool seeing it like stick its head through the water. That was a cool effect, mm-hmm. even though it, it didn't look good, but it was a really cool idea having it find him like that. So when the tree falls on the boat, Danny and Terry fall into the water yet again. Or no, actually, just Danny falls into the water. I don't know. The people are in the water. <laughs> uh, Danny is the important one. Danny's in the water. Uh, Danny's going back to the boat and the snake wraps Danny up tight. And it looks like it's over for Danny. Like We haven't seen anyone get wrapped up and survive at this point. Well, while the snake has him wrapped up, uh, Terry shows up with the rifle and just dead eyes the snake like four times. I think she actually shoots its eye out in one point because when you look at it, it's missing an eyeball. Mm-hmm. But she winds up killing the snake, just outright killing it. And uh, Danny's able to get away and get on the boat and they're able to keep going because when the tree fell on the boat, it knocked the boat off of the rocks. Uh, there's no mention of the fact that the tree is supposed to be on the boat, but don't worry about that, folks. Yeah. The boat's off and they can take <laughs> off again. Let's not worry about that. Yeah, uh, so Ice Cube is headed towards the boat and he gets caught up in what looks like just some grass and he's having a hard time making his way. I said, oh, that's right. Yeah, he got tangled up in some roots or something. (laughs) Yeah. So he was having trouble there. Uh, Maybe it was the Converse shoes. Um, Probably the laces. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he makes it and he gets, it looks like it's the end for him. He's, He's struggling to breathe and J Lo takes care of the snake, which she just dead eyes that thing. Yeah, like it's not a foot from his head, and she just blasts it like four times. It's, this is uh, some impressive shooting. Yeah, it's still able to look at her for a moment before it slithers down into the water. It dies, I assume. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it dies. Yeah. At this point, it's fairly well established that there's more than one snake around. Mm-hmm. So. Terry and Danny are our only survivors, I think, at this point, right? Mm-hmm. See, Denise was strangled by Paul. Paul was knocked out and thrown into the water. Warren was eaten. Owen was eaten. Yeah, they're the only two left. Mm-hmm. And so they, oh, well, no, the doctor. The doctor's still there, oh, Dr. Yeah. Kale. He's, He's effectively out of commission now. In bed. Yeah. yeah. They decide it's time to keep moving. So they get on the boat and they take off driving. Luckily, Danny learned how to drive from Warren before he was snake food. <laughs> and they take off down the river for another indeterminate amount of time and distance. 
after a little bit, they come across this old dilapidated building. It looks like an old lumber mill or something. Like it's a huge building, but it's clearly abandoned and rotting and has been there for a long time. Uh, their first thought is we need gas. There might be gas in there. Let's go look for the gas. So they stop the boat. They get out and uh, go looking in the building to see if they can find any in there. Well, lo and behold, there's like barrels full of it in there. They're very lucky. They they find this barrel and they start banging on it and they open it up and they're like, yes, we're good. We're saved. And they turn around to uh, start taking the gas back to the boat. And there's Paul with the gun and he just smacks him in the head and they knocks them both out. <laughs> so, yeah, Paul, unconscious underwater, Paul can move through the jungle faster than the boat can. Uh, despite the fact that there are anacondas everywhere. Yes. And as we will soon find out, he had either had time to set traps or he had been there much earlier and was planning or plotting or something. I had assumed he set the traps after he knocked them out. Maybe so. But maybe they were already there. They don't really say there were they were a lot of traps for their him to have just done it right after he conked him on the head with a shotgun. Yeah. Again, once again, the time frame of things or a rifle, sorry, are, are way off. And so mm -hmm. I, I was confused at the end a little bit. <laughs> Understandably so, John. Mm. But what happens is after they get knocked out, uh, they wake up and they're tied up together uh, back to back on top of a net. And we see that. Paul is dripping some kind of a liquid. I assumed it was gas. He has a bucket full of liquid that he's going to throw on him. I thought he was going to burn them all up with gas because at this point he's just mad. Mm -hmm. So he throws the liquid on him and it turns out it's monkey blood. And uh, it becomes evident that he's going to use them as bait to catch the snake. Uh, so he, he throws the blood on him and then kind of steps back and we wait for the snake to show. And we don't have to wait very long. The snake just pretty much shows up immediately. Uh, it comes down through the ceiling of the lumber mill and immediately coils up Danny and Terry and starts getting ready to eat them. While it's got them coiled up, Paul pulls on a rope, which pulls the net that they were on top of, and it catches all three of them together. So the snake, uh, Terry and Danny are all in this net. Uh, the snake's mad now. He, he's like, why am I caught? And he kind of forgets about them. Uh, he winds up breaking out of the, the net and letting them go. So while uh, while it's breaking free of the net, Paul gets a tranquilizer and, and shoots the thing, shoots the snake with it uh, and then takes off trying to run up a ladder. Well, the snake just latches on to Paul and then like grabs him right on the shoulder and, and bites him really hard. Uh, he gets away from the bite. And he starts trying to run run away from it. But while he's running away, uh, Danny and Terry grab the, the net that they were in earlier and pull it up around him. And so he gets trapped. Uh, he's got nowhere to go. Uh, the snake corners him. And we see the end of poor Paul Cerrone. Uh, he gets wrapped up. We see this weird bulge come out of his throat uh, as he's squished. And then we're treated with an inside the mouth shot of the anaconda devouring Paul uh, head first. Yeah, I think we can uh, safely say that they were in the writing room and they were like, you know what would be cool if we 
did an inside snake shot of the, him eating this guy. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it looks literally like, uh, they're inside some kind of plastic or rubberized yeah, stuff. Is, and they're just so great. It's uh, like wet plastic or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't even, I don't know what the inside of a snake's throat looks like, but it doesn't look like that. I'm pretty certain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they did hours of painstaking research to determine yeah. the correct uh, lighting and view for that snake. Because that snake's inside was lit up. <laughs> you could see everything. It was not dark at all. Yeah. We're, so, we're approaching uh, my favorite scene. <laughs> so poor John, or not John, sorry, Paul. John is the actor. Paul is snake food. Um, so after watching in horror, uh, Paul getting eaten. Maybe a little satisfaction as well. Uh, the two take off running. So Danny and Terry, they take off running. The snake in an unprecedented move whips its tail at uh, Danny and trips him with a tail whip. So Danny falls over and uh, Terry just keeps on running. Uh, the snake sees Terry running and takes off after her. Uh, she runs into a room and in another unprecedented snake move, the snake comes through a wall, pulls a straight Kool-Aid man <laughs> and uh, attacks her through the wall. She's like, oh, no. Uh, she takes off running again. And while the snake chases her, it knocks over one of the barrels of gas and gas starts kind of spilling all over the place. Terry runs and finds this ladder that goes up a big like smokestack. And starts climbing up that to try to get away from the snake. Uh, Danny, who at this point is limping really bad, and we don't really find out why, although I'm guessing it's because the snake has cooled him up twice now. Uh, he gets a pickaxe and he attacks the snake and winds up driving it through the snake's tail and into the floor, which traps the snake, kind of. He, he can't move any further than where that pickaxe has his tail trapped. So... Tori is going up this ladder as fast as she can. He's like, I think I know what I can do. I can fix this. And so um, while Terry is going up this chimney as fast as she can, going up this ladder with the snake coming after her, uh, Danny runs off and gets the gas and a fire hose. And he winds up running the fire hose from the snake to, uh, I guess, a safe distance. Sure. And then he lights the fire hose on fire like it's a fuse. Mm hmm. So I'm just going to assume he soaked the fire hose in the gas first. Because an old wet fire hose, I don't <laughs> think, would make a very good fuse. It would have taken a while to, to catch on fire and then burn all we're the gonna, way. <laughs> we're going to look over that one. Uh, Terry gets to the top of the chimney and there's a grate. She winds up like breaking through the grate, pulling it open, climbing up to the top of it and then closing the grate. Uh, and while she's up there, the snake's continuing after her. It actually goes through the grate, like not, he doesn't like push it open. It literally goes through the metal mm -hmm. and, uh, she winds up face to face with it on top of the thing. Uh, luckily somehow she has a rope that is attached to something and she uses that rope to go over the side and start repelling down the chimney. And uh, so she's able to get away from the snake by going down the chimney. Danny comes out and sees her and he's like, you've got to jump. You've got to jump because she runs out of rope and she's got nowhere else to go. Um, and she winds up jumping, even though she doesn't want to. I think she jumps, right? She yeah, gets she jumps. She gets knocked off. 
Okay. She's so, forced to jump. <laughs> all right. So she get. what happens is the one barrel of gas catches on fire and explodes the entire building uh, in a almost just like nuclear looking explosion. Like everything goes up. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's some intense gas. But <laughs> the, uh, the chimney explodes outward in a pretty amazing explosion, honestly, even though it's a little exaggerated for what happened. And she gets knocked into the water. Uh, Danny goes to get her, uh, gets to her, and we see the snake uh, falling out of this exploded chimney on fire, doing its whole noise, and uh, it falls into the water. So they're trying to get back to the boat, and the snake's not dead. The snake is literally on fire in the water coming after them. So now they're being chased by a fire snake. (laughs) The dreaded Uh, fire snake. Yeah, they uh, they get. Oh, gosh, it gets crazy here. This is the big finale, right? So they get on the dock. Uh, they decide that um, the snake is finally dead. It, it kind of half chases them around and they run from it. But then it, it just sinks under the water and they're like, finally, this snake is burned to death and is dead. So they go to get the gas because uh, there's, there's some gas left. And. While they're getting the gas, the snake attacks them again. Uh, it's still alive. And Ice Cube grabs an axe that was conveniently just laying on the ground next to him and uh, axes the thing in the head over and over and over until the snake dies. And Ice Cube finishes the snake with a um, somewhat strangely placed bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And finally, the snake is dead. Yep. And so at this point, I, you know, I would stop here for a discussion, but there's just a little more. And then the movie's over. Uh, as soon as the snake's dead, pretty much they uh, they get moving and they come across the Shiri Shama. They roll up on boats. And so they're able to film them and talk about them. And about this time, very conveniently, also, Dr. Kale gets better. So he just wakes up and starts hanging out with them on the boat. Mm-hmm. Um and he had one more part that I'm forgetting. Oh, that's what it was. I left that part out. I don't have a lot to say other than my favorite scene is in this area where you described it. And I won't say anything. Yeah, I left it. I left it out so that you could talk about it. Yeah. So you can you can say that if you want. Then they they decide that they uh, they want to go get the fuel. But I assume that they blew up all the fuel with that big of an explosion. Apparently, at some point, they got some away from the explosion. I I don't know. Sure. Makes sense. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but that's it. That's all I wanted. And then they, they ride off into the sunset at the end uh, mm-hmm. on the Michaela one. We never mentioned the name of the boat, but it doesn't matter. I didn't even know the boat had a name. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there, the end shot is you see the boat going off into the sunset and then the credits roll. Uh, the, the one scene I wanted to mention that I had forgotten about, uh, I think this happens at the waterfall. John, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're right. But when they're when they're fighting Paul at the waterfall, when Terry and Danny are fighting him, he gets to jump on him in terms of I think he gets a gun or something and he's he's got them like they're beat. All of a sudden he gets knifed in the back and we find out that uh, Dr. Kale has is woken up. So he got out of bed when the tree crashed on the boat. It woke him up. Mm-hmm. And so he got up 
and snuck to where everything was happening, he saw Paul and he stabbed Paul. And that's what beat Paul and what caused him to fall into the water because he had been stabbed. And so he just kind of fell over into the water. Well, I, I may be wrong about this, but I think he was stabbed in the back by a snake tranquilizer. Oh, yeah, because somebody said the needle fell out, which even I mentioned that. Yeah, which even more baffles or boggles the mind because he fell into water while he was tranquilized. So mm-hmm. he should have drowned. <laughs> I guess that's why they, they mentioned that the needle had fallen out. Yeah, I guess it I guess, didn't inject all of it or something. I don't know. Yeah. You can't think too much about this. <laughs> it's fun to do it, though. Okay, so that is our breakdown. I'm ready. I'm prepared for your star rating. Are this you? Movie. <laughs> Maybe not. So like I said, and this movie's bad. Um, I will admit I've seen significantly worse movies. So it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but it's bad. Uh, I'm going to come in, I think, at a solid three for this one. All right. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's not it's not the worst movie I've ever seen by a long shot, but it is a movie that is on a lot of people's so good, so bad it's good list. So I was expecting a little bit more as far as maybe uh, comedy or like entertainment value or even good special effects. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't really have a lot of good special effects. It was funny, but maybe not in the right way. <laughs> um, and I just wasn't overall, I wasn't as entertained by it as I wanted to be. So uh, I'll give it a three as well, because I thought that was a good score that you gave it. Well, good. We're in agreement. We're in agreement on that. I fear the day we watch a one. That'll be a good day. <laughs> Because it'll be a good good discussion, nonetheless. Mm. <laughs> and you know what it's time for now. I do. It's time for some Spice Awards. The Spice Awards. All right, we've got five categories. Best Actor, Most Underrated Performance, Favorite Scene, Worst Actor, and Best Line, which I believe would be Best Line of Dialogue. All right, best actor. What do you got, Matt Hurdle? Man, what a category for this movie. <laughs> best actor? Favorite actor. Uh, we'll say that. Favorite actor? I don't even have one for that. <laughs> the, you know, I'm just throwing one out right now because I really don't have a best actor for this movie. I felt like all of it was pretty bad. Uh, but I'm going to give mine to Owen Wilson. Who played you know, Gary Dixon? I figure with Kale messed up, I mean, the movie's off. Why not salvage something? You know, let's film Sarone capturing a big snake. Have you lost your mind? Have I lost my mind? No, I haven't lost my mind. If anything, I'm completely lucid right now. I think it's you guys who need to open up your eyes. Yo, hold up. How we go from taking Kale to the hospital to catching a goddamn snake? Do you know where you are? You're in the middle of the jungle. Okay, all you guys do is you question and you criticize. But just remember, you don't know shit about the shit we're in out here. And neither do I, okay? But I guarantee you I know who does. This guy. Paul has been here. 
And if we help him catch this snake, then he will help us get out of here alive. And that, amigos, is not insanity. That is common freaking sense. Come on, Gary. This, this isn't you. Honey, what did he do stop. to you? Okay, stop. Think about how much money this would be worth. Imagine capturing something like this on film for the first yeah. time he, ever. He didn't have a lot of dialogue. It was goofy and it was silly. But the, the one part where he got kind of roped into turning on his friends with Paul, I felt like he did that fairly well. Like he, he was able to effectively portray the fact that he was really uncomfortable with what he was doing, but he felt like it was the right thing to do and was doing it anyway. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that one scene is pretty much while I'm, why I'm giving it to him. Uh, I, and really it's because I can't think of anything, anyone else I would give it to. <laughs> I felt like it was a pretty bad acting across the board. Yeah. And he had a pretty good line in that scene. He said something about like, you don't know shit about the shit we're in right now or something. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't great, but I, I did, I had considered him as one of my picks. So, uh, I went with John Voight as Paul Saron. Ever work in a sushi bar, mister? Saron. Paul Saron. Where are you from, mister? Saron. Paraguay. Really? I started out studying for the priesthood. But then I needed to see the real world. So I ended up in the jungle. I seem to fit. Tell me. What does a failed priest do in the jungle? Fail? Who says I fail? I didn't fail. I'm sure you didn't. Well, what is your calling now? Snakes. Snakes? I catch them. For zoos and collectors. Whatever they want. Poaching? Poaching is illegal. May I ask what, uh, what you are hunting? We're not hunting or trapping anything. We're making a dive. He was probably, in my opinion, the better. He He's the more seasoned actor. He at least had an entertaining role to play, even though it was two dimensional. And that face, like <laughs> I kept like I, at first I was like, OK, one time he's going to make this weird face. And then it was like throughout the movie, he just kept making that face over and over and over again. And. His accent was interesting, although it was pretty intel and unintelligible. He was the second villain behind the snake, or maybe the first villain in front of the snake. Uh, I thought that was an interesting take, at least on the movie as a whole, was to provide not only one uh, villain, but a human villain that they also had to deal with. So that definitely increased the pace. Yeah, so that's why I picked him. I uh, I want to throw in an honorable mention here. Okay. Uh, I feel like Carrie Wooer, Wooer, Carrie Wooer, Ashley Wooer, Judd, Wooer. yeah, <laughs> who played Denise. I think she did really good in this movie. Her her character was really one dimensional too, right? Like there wasn't much going on with that character, and we don't even know what she was there for. But I felt like she did pretty good. Like she carried a lot of the scenes she was in, I felt like. And the scene where she goes to take down Paul, uh, that was well done. Mm -hmm. She had a breakdown when Gary was killed. Um, overall, I found her pretty entertaining. 
So I want to I would not give it to her, but I want to give her an honorable mention. Okay, fair enough. She was good at playing a character that was in shock. Uh, So John Voight was my pick as Paul Cerrone. Matt's pick was Owen Wilson as Gary Dixon. Uh, Most underrated performance. I went with Jonathan Hyde as Warren Westridge. Hey, hey, hey! Don't touch my radio. Oh, Mac I'm a kid. A local tribesman, perhaps. Fifty dollars should cover it. I could just kill you for free right now. You and I guess I'm a sucker for like. People with English accents, because as soon as he showed up, I was like, I'm going to like this guy. Um, He was pompous. He was uh, felt entitled. He was ordering people around to take his luggage and all kinds of stuff. Uh, But he was pretty good. And almost every scene he was in, he provided a little bit of comedy as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he has that bond moment between him himself and uh Danny. Yeah. I thought that was a good end and he was in one of the more entertaining snake death scenes. So Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's a really good pick. He he definitely like was one of the only characters that had sort of this noticeable transformation throughout the film. Mm-hmm. You know, he starts off like you're saying real pompous and kind of uppity, but then over time he bonds with these people and comes down to their level and he ends up you know, risking his life to try to save them. Yeah. So, yeah, he he was one of the better characters for sure. And it was well, well acted. Mm -hmm. Little silly, little silly, little cartoony. But yeah, Uh, for me, I wound up picking Jennifer Lopez for this one. Hi. How's he doing? He's breathing normally now. That's good. We get him home. I just don't know what's going on, you know. Sarone's supposed to help us get back to the hospital, right? And he acts like he owns this river. And we run into a barrier full of snakes. Where is he taking us? Uh, It's Terry Flores or Flores or whatever you say her last name. I'm having trouble with last names tonight. Um, You know... I haven't seen a lot of Jennifer Lopez movies and I don't want to be that guy, but most of the movies I've heard of her being in are not well received. So I went into this expecting her to be a really bad actor and she wasn't a good actor. uh, So don't get me wrong, but she did a lot better than I thought she would. Mm -hmm. Um, She, she played her role. Well, it was believable. Um, Well, it wasn't believable, but her acting was believable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I I didn't feel like I was watching Jennifer Lopez. I felt like I was watching the character. And as a result of that, um, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought she did well with what she had, and I want to give it to her. Yeah, she did a decent job. And this was one of the first, I I think she had been in maybe a handful of things up up to this point. So this is a young J-Lo kind of her budding acting career career. Um, 
Not a bad job. Alrighty. Jonathan Hyde as Warren Westridge was my pick. Matt's pick was J-Lo as Terry Flores. I'm going with Flores. Okay. I think that's right. Yeah. Favorite scene. Uh, and this is the scene that I didn't, I intentionally didn't mention in the breakdown because I didn't want to spoil it. But uh, J-Lo is running away from the snake in the... This is at the end, right? At, at the end. Mm-hmm. And the snake comes through the entrance, and the first thing that it does is spit John Voight's character out of its mouth, and it's got spit and saliva all over it, and he's he's obviously, I guess he's not dead yet, because the next thing that happens, he's standing in a vertical position, or maybe he's on his knees, and you see him wink. He gives a wink to J-Lo, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I lost it at that point. I was like... What even is this movie? <laughs> I thought he was dead, but apparently he was alive. Yeah. He was alive enough to give a, a little wink. <laughs> I didn't catch the wink, and I'm glad I didn't because I would have rolled my eyes hard. <laughs> it was so silly. Because he was like, he comes out half digested and covered in yeah. stomach goop. And maybe, maybe, maybe I was reading too much in it. Maybe it was like a nerve thing where he just kind of had a tick or something. But you can't do that because his eyes were still open. So I thought he was alive and he kind of just winked at her. Anyway, that's my pick. Favorite. That was my favorite. So this one kind of falls into the same category as best actor. Um, <laughs> I felt like a lot of the scenes were crappy. <laughs> um, it was hard to pick one that I thought kind of shined above the other ones. So... Uh, I wound up just going with the scene that surprised me the most. And that was the scene where J-Lo tries to seduce Paul in the uh, in the bridge of the boat. I just want to talk to you. I was thinking about the myth. I don't know if you know, but this this film was supposed to be my big break. It's turned out to be a big disaster. Anyway, I was just thinking that maybe I could film you capturing the snake and then It wouldn't have all been for nothing. I don't know. It could be dangerous. Well, I know. But at least you'd be there to protect us. You need protection? Since I had a woman.
hustle in one. Um, Should I hit him again? You know, that scene itself is really cheesy and it's corny and it's not great. But what I loved about the scene is what surprised me about it. I did not expect Warren to show up <laughs> from the front with the golf club and just take him down. Yeah. You know, up to this point, Warren has been pretty much kind of a passive character. You know, he, he's just kind of done what he's told. He stands up at one point uh, just briefly to Paul, but he gets just shut right down and he winds up doing what he wants him to do. And he finally has enough and he just comes in like some kind of a rocket and just lights him up with that <laughs> golf club. And uh, I cheered for him a little bit when that happened. And so the scene itself is pretty bad, but the fact that Warren was the guy that wound up taking him off or taking him down really, uh, really made me happy. So I'm going with that one. Yeah. As ridiculous as the whole premise of that scene was, it ended in a good way with the, the one liners and the, and Warren taking the guy down. All right. Favorite scene for me is John Voight's wink after he is supposedly dead at the end of the movie. And Matt's pick was the scene where JLo tries to seduce Paul Cerrone and mm-hmm. Warren comes in, takes him down with a his golf club. Uh, here's a good one. Worst actor. We should be able to, to get this one pretty easy. Um, mm. I went with Vincent Castellanos, who played Mateo. This way. Better. If now I cannot be responsible. And Jind. Okay, well, it's only 55 kilometers out of the way. Shouldn't be a problem. Better safe than sorry. Hmm? Morning. Morning. Mateo, mm-hmm. you understand me? Sure, I understand. Great. I'm going to need you to drift through that channel over there. I want to get some shots. As you say, chef. For your approval? Thanks. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was rough. I mean, he. But his, like, his problem was you couldn't understand anything he said. Yeah, you couldn't understand him. And what he didn't really have that much dialogue anyway. His whole purpose was to scowl have a scaling competition with uh, John Voight's character. Yeah. And maybe establish immediately that John Voight may be a bad dude, but we already knew that anyway. Uh, and he was the f- first one to die by the Anaconda. Anaconda. Really? Mm. Just, he just kind of stands around. He doesn't really do much. Yeah. I, think he, I can think of like maybe two lines he had in the whole film. Yeah. He tried to get with J-Lo. That was something, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not a very memorable character. Uh, well, memorable enough to for me to pick him, I guess. But in the grand scheme, he was he was not great. Well, and uh, I'm I'm a little afraid to say this, but I'm gonna drop it down. So for me, the worst actor by far was John Voight. Oh my gosh, Paul Cerrone. <laughs> what are you even saying right now? When you said he was the best actor, I was like, oh, no, here we go. You didn't, you didn't like it? No, he was ridiculous. His accent was ridiculous. His weird old man glares with like lights underneath him like he's at a campfire telling scary stories were ridiculous. He his jump from the pole. Ridiculous. <laughs> Nothing he said scared me. Nothing. I just all I could see was John Voight. In fact, when I was taking notes, I couldn't remember what his character's name was. So I wrote John for all the notes. I was like, 
I thought he was awful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to fight you too hard on it just because it wasn't the best performance of, you know, he was, it wasn't his best performance of all time, but no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it, it reminded me of, and you're going to hate me for this, but it reminded me of, um, ghosts in the darkness. Um, Michael Douglas's character. Like, really? Like he was entertaining. Uh, I think Michael Douglas's character, like Michael Douglas did a better job acting wise, but it was that kind of insane performance that I kind of equated to that, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't connect with the character at all. And every time he talked, I just felt like, like, what are you even doing? Like, what is it? What, what is this accent? And I apologize yeah. if you're in Paraguay <laughs> and that accent is accurate. Uh, but I've never heard it before. And I thought it was it, it was ridiculous, at least coming out of John Voight's mouth. Yeah. Here's the problem. We're doing the Spice Awards for a movie that we didn't really like. <laughs> and so we have to pick a, a, a thing. And that's the best I had. <laughs> Uh, that's funny though. All right. I picked Vincent Castellanos as Mateo. Matt's pick was John Voigt as Paul Cerrone. Worst actor. Uh, <laughs> all right. Last category. Best line. Um, I picked. Just enough to go around the tree. Right? Yeah. You need to take this, get it around that truck right there. Make sure it's secure. Roger. Last time I was in water like this, I was up all night picking leeches off my scrotum. When Warren is going in the water and they're going to basically unhinge this boat from the roots or where uh, getting on shore. From where, the what? Wait, 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 wait. From the what? What? Unhinge the they boat? Were gonna, from the what? From the roots? The roots? Roots? The roots? <laughs> I'm showing my southern heritage. It's like I don't even know you anymore, John. The roots. No, wait. I've been in the south my whole life, and we say roots. They weren't it. It was weren't. I've never said <laughs> roots. <laughs> that tree's got some deep roots. This is the deep south we're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't let that go. Please continue. Uh... Best line when John Murphy said roots. Okay. Uh, Warren says, the last time I was in water like this, I was up all night picking leeches off my scrotum. <laughs> Just throws it out there. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I could do a British accent because it's much better with a British accent. And I'll, oh But I'll put gosh. the sound bite in here so you get the full effect. There you go. Oh, gosh. So this this is one category where there was a lot to choose from. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of real cheesy lines. And that may be where people really start loving this film is in the just the just ridiculous lines. Yeah, the lines. Um, there are many, many, many good ones. I, I have two, which I, I need to stop picking two for everything. <laughs> but uh, the first one is my favorite, hands down. And that's the whole asshole in one. <laughs> When he said that, I actually laughed out loud. Yeah. So points for that line. I thought it was the best line in the movie. <laughs> um, but there was one other that I wanted to mention because I thought it was pretty good, too. 
And that was when they had just picked up Paul and they were all being happy and just kind of talking and they were impressed that he speared a fish. At one point, they're talking about drinking and uh, John or sorry, Paul, he's like uh, five whiskeys. That's breakfast on the river. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. That's, that's and I was just like, oh, that's oh. a great line. And of course, the one I've been saying all night. It's been a long time since I had a woman. <laughs> uh, oh. Classic. Classic Anaconda. All right. That is going to do it for the Spice Awards. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it before we go off the rails. All right. Our last section is Did You Know? Uh, surprisingly, there wasn't a whole lot, at least on IMDb for this film. The majority of the facts were centered around basically everyone was considered for the role of every role of this movie. Uh, <laughs> and we can list them ad nauseum if we want, but my gosh. Jillian Anderson, Juliana Margulies, Sean Connery, Tommy Lee Jones... Uh, hmm. who who was it? Uh, Cameron Diaz, Will Smith, Michael J. Fox, Ben Stiller, Ray Romano, Billy Crystal, Dennis Quaid, David Foley, Ben Stiller, uh, Kate Beckinsale, Bill Murray was considered for the role of Danny Rich. Kirk Douglas was considered for the role of Paul Cerrone. Jack Nicholson was considered for the role of Paul Cerrone. <laughs> Tom Hanks was considered for the role of Danny Rich. Harrison Ford was considered for the role of Paul Cerrone. It just goes on and on and on. <clears throat> I hope all of these are accurate because this is not a movie that you try to get these kind of actors to play this, play these roles. Really? They did pretty good considering. Yeah, it was. I mean, the cast is, is good. It just, uh, wasn't a great movie. So here's a good one for you. The Anaconda scenes where they did the CGI. The average cost of those scenes was a hundred thousand dollars a second in 1997. They wasted their money. I think that a hundred thousand dollars a second. You know what I think it was? I think CG. This is about the turning point when CG was going to start being heavily used in films, and I think yeah. uh, CG companies were able to inflate their prices because they could probably charge whatever they wanted. And they well, and, you know, like computers didn't have the processing power then that they do now either. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot harder, like the rendering would take weeks in some cases. That's true. Yeah. Uh, the Amazonian film shoot. So when they were shooting in the Amazon, it was occasionally disrupted by the fact that several of the cast members were deathly afraid of snakes. Surprise, surprise. I think that would <laughs> be common with any snake movie. There are two references, I guess, to Ice Cube's music in the movie. Uh, the first line of dialogue that he says is, Today is a good day, which uh, references his song, It Was a Good Day. And then later on uh, in the scene where he gets into a fight with Warren over listening to rap music, he's listening to a song called Faux Life, which um, was done by Mac 10. He co-wrote that song. That actually 
it sounded like him when he when they <clears throat> when the person was rapping, but I may have misheard that. Uh, here's some more. Liam Neeson was considered for the role of Paul Cerrone. Terry Hatcher was considered for the role of Denise Calberg. Gwyneth Paltrow was considered for the role of Denise Calberg. Ving Rhames was considered for the role of Danny Rich. <laughs> Kim Basinger was considered for the role of Terry Flores. Sandra Bullock was considered for the role of Terry Flores. Kim Basinger. Mm-hmm. I just love <laughs> reading all these because it's so funny to me. Uh, the monkey blood that Sarone throws on top of Terry and Danny when he's making the uh, trap for the snake near the end was jelly and plum juice. Mm. I bet that was tasty. Tasty. Okay, that's our episode. Uh, you can join us in two weeks when we will be reviewing RoboCop 3, continuing our uh, deep dive into the RoboCop franchise. RoboCop 3 is starring Robert Burke. Not Peter Weller, so he dropped off of the franchise after RoboCop 2. Uh, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Men podcast on your podcast player of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can head on over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. <clears throat> we always love to hear from listeners, so if you have a suggestion or you want to give us your take on a movie, feel free to email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com. Or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinnamonpod. Thanks for listening. 